head down there. Thankful for all involved in that ministry. As the kids head down there to learn Bible truths. I was telling a couple of the board members yesterday, one of the gifts we got was a packet of uh, Bible trivia cards. And um, we were at the table the other night and Viv was reading them. And Eliana, she knew quite a few. And... Um, just brought to my mind thankful for the ministry here at the church um, and the, the, really the importance that we, we put on the kids' ministry. You know, if they don't learn it here, where are they going to learn it, right? And uh, I was just praising the Lord to hear her answer these, these Bible questions. And um, it was kind of funny to watch Emma kind of answer. Her, her one answer for most of the questions was Gabriel. And um, she, she, she got it once, she got it right once. And uh, Vivian kind of chuckled when she got to the card, you know, and uh, she goes, okay, this one's for Emma, you know, and uh, she got it. She nailed it. And uh, it, was a prou- it was a proud dad moment. I knew we were going to eventually get to a card with Gabriel on it. Uh, but I say all that uh, just to give the Lord the praise for the children's ministry here. And uh, I'm thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans. We're now back in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. Uh, we're, we're not going to get through the whole stretch of Scripture this morning. Uh, but we're going to use that, of course, as a springboard. We are continuing on our systematic study of Paul's epistle to the Romans. You know, we took some time during the month of, of December to focus on the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we're back now in in the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit is mentioned only one time in the first seven chapters of Romans. But it's referred to nearly 20 times in chapter 8 alone. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the one that implants, imparts, spiritual life in the believer, who quickens or makes us alive. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us for spiritual living. Spiritual life is positional life in the Holy Spirit. But also, spiritual life is practical living in the Holy Spirit. Following the structure of our text before us this morning, I've divided our outline really into two parts, and we'll, we'll get to the first part this morning, and that's positional life in the Holy Spirit. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at practical living in the Holy Spirit. But before we go any further this morning, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we humbly come before you and we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to corporately gather together and and lift our voices to the one who is worthy of our worship. Father, I ask now that as we get into this text this morning, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes to what you have for each and every one of us. Father, I thank you that your word is living. Father, I thank you that Your word is rock solid and reliable. Father, I thank you that we can always run to your word. 
And we know that it doesn't change from day to day, but it is the same. And we thank you for that. Lord, again, I pray that you'd be with us as we look at this text. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified through all that we do and all that we say in our time together. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You'll recall now from our studies previous, going back over a month ago, that Paul was frustrated. He has given us, well, he has been kind of furious, you could say, in Romans chapter 7 over his bondage against the law of sin. Chapter 7, verse 23. The law of sin that dwelt in him, chapter 7, verse 17, always seemed to pressure him contrary to what the law of God wanted him to do, chapter 7 and verse 22, as well as verse 23. His conclusion is in chapter 7 and verse 24. Turn back there. I know I I had you turn to chapter 8, but turn back to chapter 7 and look at verse 24. It says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Who will deliver me from this bondage? And the despair of chapter 7 leads us to to really desperate solution in chapter 8. As Paul described his struggle against sin that we saw in Romans chapter 7, we identify because we suffer in the very same way. For we too, We too long for an answer to this struggle. And alas, we come to Romans chapter number 8 in our study this morning. Now, go back to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Point number one this morning is that the Holy Spirit frees the believer. How so? Subpoint letter A, from divine condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1, therefore, Romans 8 verse 1, introduces the result or the consequence of what has been previously established, remember with the apostle, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been saved or freed from divine condemnation. Now, the word condemnation there doesn't so much refer to the verdict or the crimes as much as it does the sentence that the verdict demands. The verdict is guilty. How many of you have ever watched a courtroom session? Anybody ever it, it kind of is, it's fascinating to see how that goes down. I was uh, one time called to be a juror, and then I got dismissed. They found out what my profession was. Oh, your pastor, gone. Go ahead. We'll see you later. Thanks for coming in. And um, I, I, I kind of wanted to see how that process worked. It was actually a, a murder trial, and um, pretty high-profile trial uh, in Iron County. And... Um, I was not able to be one of, the, one of the jurors. I also knew somebody that was on the, the defense. So they asked me, do you think uh, even though you know this gentleman, can you put aside your friendship and you know how much you know him to, to have a clear uh, verdict? I said, I don't. Uh, okay, see ya. Gone. You're a pastor and you don't know. Bye. 
But see, we, we see here that the verdict in this text before us is guilty. There is none righteous. No, not, how many? No, not one, right? We are all what? Sinners, okay? We're all sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The verdict, folks, is guilty. The sentence is condemnation. And that sentence is death, as it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But the death sentence was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. And the guilty verdict has been overturned by this shed blood of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 11 calls that justification. We have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. And now there is no condemnation for the believers. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And folks, with that news, we ought to be thrilled. Folks, we ought to be pumped about the truth of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation, folks, to those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This positional truth, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, is absolutely, positively, fundamentally important. Now, the deliverance from divine condemnation is not a deliverance from divine discipline. For whom the Lord loves, He what? He chastens. He scourges every son who He receives. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 tells us that. This deliverance from divine condemnation does not mean deliverance from divine accountability. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So what does this mean? What this means is that we are free from divine condemnation, namely the death sentence of death consequence, the death consequence of our sin, if we are in Christ Jesus. That truth alone should be sufficient for us this morning. At this point in our service, we might be dismissed. We might close in prayer. We might leave. We might leave rejoicing, I might add, because of this news. Because there is no divine condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There's a phrase at the end of verse number 1, in, found in the King James and in the New King James Version. It says, who do, not, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But that phrase is not found in the earliest manuscripts of Romans, so it is not included in many of the modern translations. It would be the NIV, the ESV, or the NASB. This is what we call a textual variance now. Both the Alexandrian text and the Western text types that we see don't include this phrase at the end of verse 1, but only at the end of verse number 4, if you're looking ahead. The manuscript family, which the King James or the New King James in this case uh, have been translated, have it at the both of end of verse 1 as well as at the end of verse number 4. And I will address that when we come to the end of verse 4. But I just wanted to point that out there at the end of verse 1. So the Holy Spirit frees the believer from divine condemnation. And let her be the Holy Spirit frees the believer because of justification. 
See, the divine condemnation from which the believer is, is discharged, letter A, is because of our justification in Jesus Christ, letter B. Paul, who was, who was desperate to be delivered in chapter 7, if you remember in verse 24, now declares his freedom from divine condemnation in chapter 8 in verse 1 because, because of justification through Jesus Christ, chapter 8 in verse 2. Now, our being in Christ, you will notice it there in verse number 2, is one of the most profound mysteries of God's plan of salvation. Somehow our union in Christ justifies us before God. Martin Luther helps us understand this when he wrote this, and this is what he wrote. <clears throat> he said, It is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. And if he has Christ, he has at the same time all that is in Christ. What gives peace to the conscience is that by faith our sins are no more ours, but Christ's, upon whom God hath laid them all, and that on and the other hand, all Christ's righteousness is ours. Folks, you would call that, we could call that the great exchange. Our sin was, was placed upon Him. His righteousness was placed upon us. Christ lays His hand on us and we are healed. He casts His mantle upon us and we are we're clothed. For He is the glorious Savior, blessed forever. Justification we see in verse number 3. As for what the law could not do in that it was weak, through the flesh God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, an account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. The Holy Spirit frees the believer by means of substitution, letter C. Verse 3 is a primary proof text describing the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Folks, we couldn't, we could not, we cannot satisfy the law of God. And the law of God can't satisfy the justice of God. So God sent His Son to stand in our place. You see, the law cannot make men righteous but only expose our unrighteousness and then condemns us. The law cannot make men perfect, but can only reveal our great imperfection. And we have learned that in, in previous weeks as we studied out the book of Romans. So Jesus Christ became our substitute in meeting the, in meeting the righteous requirements of the law. Verse number three, and because Jesus took our place, we can be free. Next, the Holy Spirit frees the believer, letter D, for the purpose of sanctification, as we see in verse four. There's an order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. At this point, Paul is moving his emphasis from the justifying work of salvation that we have talked about for, for many weeks in, in our study of Romans, now to its sanctifying work. The Holy Spirit of God does not free the believer from sin in order for us to continue sinning to satisfy our flesh, but according to the Spirit we live. 
you can go ahead and cheat ahead and look at verse number five to understand that. Now the phrase at the end of verse number four that we discussed earlier, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Same phrase that some manuscripts include at the end of verse number one. We see there is not a, really a statement of identification that applies to all believers. And let me, let me go a little deeper here. At first read, I, I thought this would preach very well when I, when I started studying out this text. I thought it would preach really well. I thought I could really rant and rave about the Christian walk. Don't walk in the flesh, walk in the Spirit, right? After all, the Scripture really is, is, is it, it commands, the Scriptures really command us to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not walk like the unsaved walk, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. When I found the phrase written twice in my Bible, if you've got the King James or a new King James in front of you, when I saw it lit, written there twice, at the end of verse number one, as well as at the end of verse number four, I thought I could preach this fact even harder, right? It's the theme of the text, for it's cited twice there. You can see it in some of your Bibles. The theme of the text must be the, the command to walk in the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit. After all, that is what Galatians chapter 5 commands us to do. That's not how it reads. Catch this now. In Romans chapter 8, the phrase at the end of verse 1 in my translation or, or at the end of verse 4 in perhaps everyone else's translation in their version, it's not a command. It's simply a statement. It's simply identifying the believer. If we have been freed by sin, the Spirit, and are in Christ, then we do walk according to the Spirit. Jump down to verse number 9. It says, you however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Spirit dwell in you, believer, then you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. Let me break it down this way. If you have been born again by God's Spirit, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have been saved. You are a Christian. You are in, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in your life will be manifest because you walk in the Spirit. The true believer, whether young, whether old, whether immature or mature, does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, as it says in Romans chapter 8. Every true believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and will produce the fruit of the Spirit in that one's life. You might say at this point, now, now just wait a minute, Pastor. Pump the brakes here for a moment. You, see, I, I, you might say, I know some Christians who, who don't walk according to the Spirit, but in fact, walk according to the flesh. You might say, Pastor, in fact, I might even be one of them. Okay. Then you may not have the Spirit of God living within you. You might say, what? Are you insulted by that suggestion? But I want you to hear this clearly this morning. 
there are certainly saints who will sin. And let me tell you, you're looking at one of them. Okay? And I'm looking at a whole lot of them out there. All right? The Apostle Paul was one who still sinned yet in his life. See, Christians will still sin. There is even a category that we give that. We might call them cardinal Christians or fleshly Christians. That was a characteristic of those in the Corinthian church. But the key word in Romans chapter 8, and I want you to really zone in on this, is walk. Walk. And it refers to the habitual behavior or the bent of life. It refers to a lifestyle. While each of us will continue to sin, you cannot sin continually and claim to be indwelt by the Spirit of God and walk or live continually in the flesh. Paul is saying it, he is saying it is, it is logical and a theological impossibility. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 11 then, make it very clear that the genuine Christian is indwelt by God's Spirit and that our new spiritual life will not be characterized by the way we walk, maybe even in the flesh, our fleshly activity, but rather by the things of God. Look at verse 5. I want you to see this. Look at verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. For to set the mind of the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong him. So the question at hand here at the end of that text is what is the qualification? If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you have been born again, if you are saved, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Therefore, you are in the Spirit. Look again at verse 9, because I want, I want you to grab this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ dwells, does not belong to Him. Verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is, is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Point number two this morning, the Holy Spirit changes believers. Salvation is not a transaction. It's a transformation. It's a transformation. Ephesians chapter one, or I'm sorry, chapter two and verse one, it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone... Catch that. If anyone is in Christ, 
The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And the Holy Spirit of God changes a believer. If you are not changed, you might have to ask yourself, am I saved? And I don't say that to, to question your salvation. But sometimes we need to evaluate, don't we? You might be sitting there saying, okay, hold on once more. Okay, just, just hold on. That's, that's two insults now in one sermon. This is ridiculous. See, the focus of Paul here is now turning to our responsibility to eliminate sin in our lives through the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's Paul's explanation of practical living in the Spirit, folks. All the truths in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 through verse 11, as we have just read them, they're all truths that we must know. You'll remember Romans chapter 6, and that's going back quite a few weeks, if not months now ago. There were so many important truths that we must know, but now going forward, these are some things that we must reckon or we must yield. Practical living in the Holy Spirit. Jump down to verse 12 with me. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So point number three this morning is the Holy Spirit empowers the believer. Paul does not say that those who live according to the flesh are going to lose their salvation. He has already written verse number one, declaring there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He is saying that the person who whose life or whose walk, if you will, we can use that word walk, is characterized by the continual things of the flesh, is not a true Christian. It's spiritually dead no matter what the religious affiliation might be. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the resources to put to death the deeds of the body and not walk not habitually live or continually practice our lives according to the flesh. It was brought out yesterday at men's breakfast, who controls you? It's a great question that was posed yesterday. Who controls you? And I'll leave you with that. But the Holy Spirit is, is the key for it is the Holy Spirit of God who, who convicts the world of sin, the righteousness and the judgment. The Holy Spirit of God is really uh, the one that will, will let us know, right? Yeah. And we have the choice, don't we, as believers in Jesus Christ? We have the choice to listen or not. And again and again and again, while, while we raise these two young girls that the Lord has given us, I, I see um, as we try to um, instill biblical principles and try to discipline them and them choose a different way, I continue to see over and over again my sin and what my choices mean. And, and when I have an opportunity to listen and obey to the Holy Spirit, do I do it? It's a question, do we do it? If you have children, you know that they don't do things right away the first time for, for most of them. So you got to get on them again, right? We saw earlier in the scriptures that 
those he loves, he what? Chastens. Right? So what we've done this morning is we've really set the groundwork here in chapter 8 in this text. And next week we'll get into the practical, because you know I'm, I'm, I'm all about practical. And uh, we'll, we'll look at the practical side of the application here in this text and what it looks like within the believer's life. How many of you are thankful for Romans chapter 8, verse number 1? Amen? There is what? Therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I just want to close with this question. Are you in Christ Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you have that relationship with Him? If not, don't leave here today without having that relationship. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of our teachers here at the church, one of our elders, one of our deacons. We'd love to sit down with the Word of God and show you what it says in His Word. Not our opinions, not what we think, but what the Word of God says about having that relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you this morning and we thank you for this text. We thank you for the truths in this text. We thank you for Jesus Christ who was our wrath bearer. He willingly came to this earth as a baby to pay the penalty of sin that we can't even begin to repay. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. He came to pay that for us. We are grateful and we are thankful. Lord, maybe there is someone today that has come to the service and has never come to the Savior. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would cry out to you for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would repent, that they would turn to you. We thank you so much for the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection. It was all done on our behalf. We give you the praise and glory for that. Lord, we thank you again for this text and the truths that are in this text. We thank you so much for Paul and just his love for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now that as we depart from our service this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel to the ones that, that don't know you. Lord, help us to be obedient as we do so. Give us the right words to say. Pray that you would be glorified through all. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.